Welcome everybody to Dine with the Divine. I'm Ashley, your host, as usual, the same person as last week. And today we're going to be exploring the mystical, the magical, everything in between, culture and all that good stuff. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about the history of smelling good and a lady who was mad because she wasn't getting any. So <laughs> I'm going to introduce our fantastic guest today. Maurizio Garcia is an animist perfumer based in San Francisco Bay area his work aims to nourish the relationship between perfume people and the more than human world Maurizio's inspiration is born from the fragrance ecology of the pacific west coast the marine fog redwood forest i'm petrified of redwoods but we'll talk about it later the cold <laughs> the golden grass hills home to butterflies coyotes and many other beings also scared of coyotes, but we'll talk about that later too. Rooted in perfumeries, ancient origins, and ancestral veneration, Herb Craft Perfumery is a boutique fragrance studio that specializes in the creation of fine fragrances, fragrant enchantments, and ritual anointments. Mauricio draws upon 18 years of working and learning from herbalists, medicine makers, master craftswomen of perfumery spiritual practitioners and of course plants and spirits themselves he's an advocate for perfumery's stewardship of the environment and its reclamation as a sacred substance hey how are you Rizio? how's it going i'm well i'm super stoked to be here i've listened to all of your other episodes and they've been really fun i've been following along so i'm very honored to be one of your guests thank you oh my i'm excited for our conversation Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So, first of all, first question. Okay. How did you even, how did this become a interest of yours? Has it been something you've always been interested in or was some, was there something that sparked your interest about perfumery? Like what made it happen for you here? I think that, okay, what made it happen? I suppose I can answer that with some vague whatever, but I can actually <laughs> give you a dream that Ooh. was this was the crossroads where I can decide to whether I wanted to pursue this or not. Herbcraft was originally more of a skin care and treatment line. I did a lot of formulation around different types of treatments, including therapeutic and just for enjoyment teas. And so I was introduced to natural perfumery by a dear friend, Ella Gluckman, whose mentor is Mandy Aptel, who everyone should definitely check out. She's super cool. She's like the godmother Beyonce of natural perfumery. She's pretty badass. Mm. But anyway, she was like, you need to read my mentor's books and I think you'd be really into it. And so I did. And then I had this really crazy, intense dream. I came to in the way of dreams in this kind of dark room that looked like a study or a library or some place that people someone did work and there's this like long table that i of course dream of having now down the middle of this book lined room and on the table were all of these different beakers and piles of paper and books and jars and all kinds of stuff and like perfume bottles and suddenly this like wind picked up in in this room and all the bottles and papers and stuff started to whirl around themselves into this kind of cyclone and the bottle started to glow and i heard this voice like in again in the way of dreams that if i put in the time to learn the craft i could learn the secrets for conjuring and binding spirits into 
fragrances and bottles. What? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> you were like, yeah, here I am. great. <laughs> here I am like seven years later. <laughs> oh my God. That is so cool. Oh my God. That's, oh my God. I love that. Yeah. I'm it. Yeah. I'm, I don't know what else to say besides <laughs> I'm very grateful that the, that door, that pathway opened up to me. Uh, it's certainly been an alignment. It feels as though everything I've learned certainly lends itself to this craft. And yeah, I'm just, I feel very fortunate to be able to do it for a living with that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I wish there was not all these other elements tied to it. I wish I could just make things for people. I do think mm -hmm. that in another version of our society, that is what I would be doing. Yeah, I think another version of our society a lot of people would be doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well you know someday that'll that version will just be in a future time yes. space as opposed to an alternate universe <laughs> that's what i think too <laughs> cross our oh, fingers i know okay so my other question is you are not petrified of redwoods as i am oh um... no i love them <laughs> okay that's good to know I've never seen a redwood in person, but I have, yes, me and my mom, I think I inherited, we have this weird fear of very large natural structures and just seeing redwoods makes me anxious. I'm like, oh, no, no, we don't, I live in the East Coast. We don't have trees that big. So I'm like, oh, I can't handle it. I'm like, who are you? What do you know? What can you tell me? <laughs> I know, right? They're, they're, they must be so old. So they- yeah. They know everything. That is... like there there are trees that are older than our most pop some of our more popular religions. Yeah. It definitely put they put things into perspective. That is so crazy. Oh my god. Okay. Now we got over that question. Um because <laughs> I was like, I have to talk about this for one second. I will find somebody who is as petrified other than me and my mom. Or you'll meet one and you're gonna fall in love. Maybe. I know. I do love a tree. I love a tree, but I just like the sheer size. It's just like it's they're so thick. Yeah, they can be pretty <laughs> massive. Like yeah. some of them, like the way the roots have grown slash road slash human ingenuity, you can drive through them, like below yes. them. And they're still alive and they're still like supporting their babies around them and all that. And so my friend who's an herbalist, she was telling me how she like read this book that trees talk about how trees can talk to each other basically. Oh yeah. With their roots. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And with aromatic molecules. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I love it so much. It's definitely like my childhood potion making fantasies come to life. That's so cool. Okay. With air. So with the molecules in the air. Oh, so the trees like release molecules? Trees and different types of plants will release molecules. Obviously, the scent of flowers are something that we're very familiar with. And those smells are totally meant to attract um, pollinators, although they also use the same molecules to ward away harm or predators but it just depends on this their relation the interspecies relationship it's it's the lock and key situation similarly to how we would be drawn to the smell of a luscious mango or some mm -hmm. other ripe fruit to spread the seeds for the plant in exchange for food but yeah it's totally signaling smell i'm sure we'll get into it but smell is our oldest sense before yeah. sight before sound before touch it was yes no. okay okay oh this leads me to more questions okay so it's so funny because you wouldn't think of that with trees everybody mm -hmm. would think of it with flowers and flowers yeah. like 
they have specific colors and smells and bees love them because they're colorful but you don't think that with trees trees you just think like they're there they're in the ground and that's it and okay fine <laughs> i do think that the i'm not i am i know what i know within my sphere but trees i i do think it's just so fascinating that there's all these different types of communications that yes. we are the majority of life on this planet is bacteria right mm-hmm. and then there's plants and animals and we're and fungi and we're more like plants and yeah. obviously animals and fungi than we are these other bacteria yeah. and we're also like made up of them it's a whole thing and i find it all very fascinating <laughs> but yeah they they talk to each other with these interconnected serpentine network look like our own neurons but also look like the patterns of galaxies in the heavens and so it's just like this and then at the same time they work with the spirits of the air carry their messages to each other yeah i love it all i just sometimes i had the same i had the same feeling that i'm talking to you now that i had when i was in nursing school and i took biology anatomy and physiology and i was like everything is just working this crazy interconnected system is just it just works and like you're saying you're oh and then the there are these molecules and then the air carries the molecules over here and then they were like oh hey tree we're also the kind of tree that you like and then yeah or other yeah or other species or then bees eat pollen and essential oils from plants and then they like metabolize alchemize these Mm -hmm. essential oils and aromatic molecules to create their own communications with each other and it's i'm doing the same thing just in a different way at a different scale a smaller scale if Mm -hmm. you think of these this entire species using these compounds in that way yes oh my god i'm obsessed this is so cool magic magic it is magic there's oh my god there's so many things in the world that are magical that like we take for granted something like you're talking about like the trees or even perfume itself like it's so magical that like you bring together these and it's there's like a whole i've been reading a lot about perfume the past couple weeks and like there's Uh, a whole thing to it (laughs) there's top notes there's middle notes there's this there's that and And that all has to do with volatility which is another air aerial air element aspect yes although they're very also earth being carbon molecules and all such yes and, you're and like, fire <laughs> subtle spirits the whole yes, thing yes it's fascinating so one thing i know you are really you really do and we just talked about it a little bit in your bio how like you're really into talking about like, sustainability so can you because i've tried to understand this but i didn't so can you explain to me a little bit about what goes on in like the not regular but like perfume industry in general like where are they getting all these scents and stuff because oh, like yeah. you and I think of, and no offense to like Britney Spears or whoever, but like, <laughs> like cheap, like perfumes in like Walmart or wherever. And then you see there are these perfumes that are thousands of dollars. And I'm like, are the ingredients different? I just want to, un- I don't understand what's going yeah. on here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to give you a little, just so fragrances are made up of aromatic molecules as we've been that with those words that we've been mm-hmm. saying. And all those molecules are they all come from 
either an extracted source, so like an essential oil from a plant, very frequently botanical essences like rose oil or jasmine absolute, which is a solvent extraction of the... It's expensive too, the, right? Yeah, they're very pricey because it's thousands of pounds of something like a rose or a jasmine to make a single pound of oil mm -hmm. or absolute. The difference between an essential oil is... A, it goes, uh, plant matter is put through a steam distillation process and then the essential oil is collected. An absolute is a solvent extraction where plant mass, plant matter is dissolved with a solvent, an organic solvent, carbon dioxide, mm -hmm. hexane, and then oh. it's turned into this like fragrant lumpy mass of okay. plant melted petals, pretty much melted plants, wax and all kinds of pigments and all kinds of things. And then that's tinctured in alcohol and that creates the absolute. There are also older slash less industrial extraction techniques that can be utilized, like tinctures, enfleurages, which is layering a single layer of a delicate flower that cannot be extracted from with a intense essential, essential distillation or solvent extraction. Things like lilac or poisonous plants like datoras mm. and lilies of the valley that won't, the aromatic compounds won't survive the high heat and intensity of the distillation. So you can imagine where do plants come from very frequently monocultures. So these vast fields that derive water from where do they, are they pulling water from communities that are water impoverished in mm. order to sustain industry? Because these compounds are not only used in perfume, they're also used in flavor, vanilla flavors, vanilla, vanilla ice cream, right? Yeah, Coffees, yeah. all kinds of stuff. These are all, and then scented products as well. So it goes a lot of it goes beyond just perfume into this fragrance industry. So big, big farms, large farms, industrial size production of plants. And then when you start to think about what what the labor might look like, are people paid fairly? Are they treated mm -hmm. fairly? Do they have access to what they need? Does the community in which this business exists have resources or is money being unevenly distributed is real issues around that are born of global capitalism that the industry is very much a part of the fragrance industry is has a very deeply rooted history in colonialism fragrance materials were grown in different parts of the world slave labor was utilized to grow them until the more modern centuries and even then it's still really sketchy it doesn't mean that it's ethical the mm -hmm. amazon's still being chopped down to grow whatever madagascar is still not being that's biodiversity is still not being protected and yet we're like harvesting and using all this land to grow these plants yeah. and so it's, it's but at the same time people depend on the production of these materials or plant beings is a better way of considering them in order to survive and in order to participate in the global economy, which obviously is not designed to benefit them. It's a very, that's a yeah. very it's designed to benefit a very small selection of people, but mm. it's perpetuated by a very large number of people. And then we get into aromatic, like single molecules, petrochemical byproducts are make up a large portion of the perfumer's palate. So while we're not pumping fossil fuels out of the out of Alaska to make perfume we do use byproducts from the fossil fuel industry to produce aromatic molecules because there are these all these in, intricate and infinitely complex molecules and fossil fuels are this like rich carbon source for for starting material 
But modern technology has allowed us to begin to synthesize aromatic molecules from alternative sources, things like algae, which is way more sustainable than fossil fuels. And so there's a lot of really cool work being done by some very amazing people around bringing bringing our sources for fragrance into a more ethical and regenerative space. So sustainability generally means producing so that you have enough to continue producing into the future, which is still not very considerate of the planet as an organism or species as having every right to live and thrive on this planet that we regeneration is a much more holistic approach. And so it's really cool to have been able to connect with people that are regenerating the rain, the Amazon rainforest, growing cardamom or protecting endangered species while using like plants that inhibit erosion and they're like Mm -hmm. aromatic plants that we don't harvest for the essential world but they're plants that are really powerful for protecting landscapes and such yeah oh my oh my gosh okay there's so many things okay first of all i always think this too with because you were saying it like it's not just a fragrance industry but it leaks into other things like you said flavors and different things and i always think like garbage bags smell now Oh yeah, that is tr- mm, that is true, and I love a smelly garbage bag. And now I'm like, mm. <laughs> you're like, do they need it to smell? Yeah, I'm like I don't really need it, but it does smell good. But okay, I don't need it. Just as a thing, right? <laughs> yes. If we're, I don't know, if the maybe at some point the tech will be that this plastic is a biodegradable plastic that comes from some sort of regenerative plant source that doesn't yeah. take up a ton of land, and maybe they, I don't know, maybe there's. The fragrance also comes from that. It's not as though it's impossible to create things. I just think that the framework in which we're forced to exist, this capitalistic, patriarchal, Mm -hmm. oppressive, extractive way of being keeps easier and cheaper is what is the name of the game still. Yeah. And it's it's so crazy because one of the things that you were... Okay, so many things. So the first thing... The other thing I was thinking was you were talking about like the monoculture, I guess when people so that I hope I'm explaining it the way you were saying it. it's like when somebody's growing all of one thing. Right. Yeah. So and... I just remembered reading somewhere at some point in my life about like when the when the colonists came and they were like, oh, tobacco's super great. We can grow so much tobacco. Right? I think in Virginia, they're like, we're just going to grow tobacco. But the indigenous people, being as smart as they were, were like, yes, but you can't grow tobacco everywhere all the time because it was destroying the fields. Like, it's something yeah. that you can only grow in one place because well, it messes up the soil or something. But, like, the plants plants are meant to grow in diverse communities right yeah where i think in the modern era people forget where things come from especially mm-hmm. especially things like food now with oh, the yeah. in, in the state so much is prepackaged mm-hmm. even like berries come like prepackaged and all these oh. anyway and they're like frankenstein gigantic big old things and anyway that's a whole other thing sorry I'm sorry <laughs> totally fine but oh my gosh that totally made your question fought oh the yes so plants like to grow in diverse communities and a good example referencing indigenous north americans and the pilgrims are like the concept of the three sisters right like that corn yes. and beans and squash grow very harmoniously together and flourish when they're together mm-hmm. the nitrogen fixation of one really supports the growth of another whereas the shade that is cast by one protects the other and they all support each other 
monocultures deplete land of nutrients. They obviously also will then require inorganic fertilizers that will run off into water sources and taint mm. and like give people di- diseases. And yeah. it's just, it's really cancer. It's really, it just, it's never, I think the settler mindset never changed. Uh. It's, de- it's exactly as it was mm. when they were like, we can grow a bunch of tobacco. And they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? And they're like, okay, we're just going to keep doing it. But <laughs> monoculture is a huge aspect of American industry, American agricultural industry. Look at like corn, like corn. I think there was a point in time where corn was fertilized with like leftover gunpowder from one of the major wars. Oh, no. And it's, but are we surprised? Sick. Are we surprised? No, not surprised at all. No. And <laughs> that's like people are made out of that now. Crazy to think, right? Like, yeah, they're made out of all of these things we interact with, including the perfumes that we apply to ourselves. They alter our ourselves, our forms. Our I am I'm a I'm not a huge proponent of the separation of spirit and matter. So I think Mm -hmm. that it's all very interconnected and very things affect each other and affect us. Oh, I yeah, I totally agree. Like they say, you are what you eat. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's true, and all these things. I think in addition to affecting the environment, like you said, and we're, our spirits are also part of the environment and the environment is part of us. We We are nature. Yeah, exactly. We're here and then we go into the ground maybe and depending on how you want to do that. But yeah. And then you, then who knows? Then the adventure starts. Exactly. Exactly. And also like you talked about, and I think this all the time too with a lot of people being, and there's nothing wrong with being a vegan or anything, but I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, I have a friend and they're a vegan. And they were on like a, again, nothing against vegans, but this particular person was like, oh, you know how like acting like they were superior or whatever. So they were saying to, we were having this conversation about the fact that there's, of course, it's fine to be vegan, fine to be not vegan, whatever, but sustainability goes both ways because this person was saying to this friend i was talking to oh you know the meat industry and it's not great blah blah blah," which is true don't get me wrong but like it's also true a lot of people are eating vegetables me included that are harvested by people who aren't being paid fairly like 100 percent. yeah so it's it's all shitty like unfortunately None none of it it's all designed it all works the way that it was designed to work yeah but the design is not for us no. And there's so many people in the planet now that it's like, on the one hand, I wish everything was sustainable and equal and fair. And I hope one day in my life that it would be right. But then you think to yourself, though, there's so many people, though, before it was a little easier, maybe well, in you tell me what you think. Uh, no, <laughs> please finish your thought before I insert mine. Oh, no, it's fine. I was always my thought is always I just don't know. I think, okay, before colonization, right, let's go, let's say it's like the year 1000 and there are communities where people are able to feed themselves and each other because their communities were very small. So I think now I'm like, I'm, I pray and wish that we had a more sustainable environment, but I'm like, how would we do it on such a big scale? You know what I mean? When there was maybe a billion people in the world versus now we're like, what? eight nine million billion what do you think about that i am gonna lock my my misanthropy into a closet in my mind (laughs) and tell him to have a cocktail (laughs) because he has a lot of opinions about it and i'm gonna i'm gonna say that 
lot of it comes down to the way that we exist in the world and the way that we make things, but also what people have access to. And so again, it goes back to things are working the way that they were designed to work. We, those of us that live in more urban areas are meant to be dependent upon the in, the increased costs that f- bringing food into this region requires, right? Mm-hmm. Heart of the design. It's not that rather than designing a city to in to be habitable to be a home for not only all the humans that reside in it. Notice I'm saying all. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially that's a very big thing here in San Francisco. Homelessness is an issue as well yeah. as ridiculous wealth gap. People talk as though they're not hand, they don't go hand in hand and they do. Absolutely. absolutely. Or people and the species that existed here before botanical and non and animal. And if we can rewild cities, then cannot we also can't we also figure out how to introduce an agricultural system? Like it's I don't know how there are many better thinkers and and writers around this topic than myself. And mm-hmm. so I certainly encourage people to look to indigenous leadership, especially for these remodeling of the remodelings of the world. There are there are people that have really thought what this uh, thought about what this could look like, what this transition that really needs to happen could look like because according to the Dasgupta review, which was done which was completed by Sirpartha Dasgupta, an economist for the UK for the government of the UK, we are currently producing, so making shit, as though we have 1.6 planet Earths. Damn. That's more than half the, of what we have. Like, what the hell? That doesn't make any sense. And How there's do... still people who ha- who don't have enough of things exactly. that they need. And don't, exactly. And things wow. that, and are exposed to illnesses and disasters that and in this age we have the ability to address. But because wealthier nations would rather hoard resources, once again, the hoarding of resources, that is, it's, we aren't a harmonious species. There is, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on to this tangent, but I read it go. today and I kind I'm of ready. think you might like it. I don't know. I'm, kinda, everything uh, you're saying know. is it depends, fascinating. Could dependently be on theme. I don't know. Or it could piss off some people. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I don't care. The Y chromosome in our species is disappearing. Yeah. It's happened in species before including like rat species that exist in like Malaysia and Japan. But that means that like the male of Mm -hmm. the human species, that gene is degrading. Talk about the patriarchy being obsolete. Mm. Um, That's a whole other topic. (laughs) But what this would necessitate in order for our species to survive is to diversify and develop a new gene, a new gendered gene. But the issue with that is that because our species is so big and so spread out, different genes could develop amongst different populations. And those populations could potentially not reproduce with each other or wouldn't be able to reproduce with each other. So it's, it's we, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the future is gonna look like. There's so much, we think evolution happens fucking to rats with the dinosaurs, but it's, we are changing constantly. We are essentially planets ourselves. We are made up of countless microbes, countless beings that have their own experiences within our bodies and make up the emanation that is our identities or how we see ourselves. And so anyway, it just feels as though the like future of our species is a little more like up in the air than we would like to assume. But also that means that we have, we like know so much. Our species has done so much over the last 
many thousands of years over the many ages of uh, that we've been around, right? The age of Taurus saw the development of grand societies in agriculture, ancient Crete, Mesopotamia. The age of Aries is <laughs> not my, not necessarily my favorite. There's a lot of <laughs> patriarchy and monotheism became huge themes and such. And, mm-hmm. and we are still figuring that out. And then yeah. now we're in the age of Pisces and sort of slightly madhousey feels like. <laughs> But the next is the age of Aquarius, which is very much about technologies and development and the threads that connect the past and the future and the whole of a species or the whole of really any kind of entity that is made up of multiple things. Damn. Sorry. That's what I, <laughs> no, I was like. I don't know I <laughs> not sorry. That gives, that gives me so much to think about. And everything you said leads me to the idea first of all like when i said before oh there's so many people but like it's so much bigger than well we just have to think differently and yeah that, exactly yeah we, we don't no have... one needs to disappear we don't yeah it's no one it's not that anyone shouldn't exist of that's course not, that's it's more that like how do we use our vast numbers and our desire to live a pleasurable fulfilling life to make it so that other people and other beings that we share the planet with can also do that. I think there's, a, there's so much potential for us to do that. I just, you know, what it looks like. <laughs> Who yeah. Knows? And it would definitely like, and when you talked about, like you said, you live in California and in San Francisco I and I live in New Jersey and I live right next to New York and in New Jersey, and New York, it's like the same in most parts of the country, I would think. And lots of parts of the world it's this like the wealth gap is insane like it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense like no. especially in new york in new york city you want to get a studio apartment it's like three thousand dollars it doesn't make any sense and then we have all these abandoned i have one in my town a giant abandoned factory oh, and i'm yeah. like we could just it's just been sitting there for years and years and then people are like, oh, we're going to, somebody's going to buy it and make it into these high priced condos. Why? What? Why? I'm, and I'm not opposed to people having money. Like, of course, I like to have money too. That's not a problem. But it's like the immense greed of people. And I feel like this has started to really, the past maybe couple years, couple few years has really grinded my gears. Like the immense greed. Yeah. There's n- nothing wrong with people having money and enjoying that money. I think I wish everyone I knew. I mean, I think that's where it's like where the issue becomes prioritizing like imaginary numbers over real suffering yeah. and real potential for people to have what they need. So mm-hmm. it's like, why? Yeah. What what is the reason to quote Cardi B? Is that <laughs> what is for what? What is the reason? Yes, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. It's just madness. Okay, so this is fantastic. We're gonna move on to our next section because this could go on all day. It it will go on another time maybe because I love this conversation. But I know um... we haven't even touched on like spirits and spooks and magic. I know exactly. <laughs> We will definitely touch on spirits and spooks and magic in a couple bits. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about the dish of the week. So this week, our dish is something that I never heard of. And because with our story, we're going to be in Mexico with our story. So our dish of the week is mole. I love mole. Okay. I had never heard of mole until about a month or two ago when I was on. magical. Oh my gosh. So I was on Facebook 
and I saw this video that I was at work. Like, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I didn't care. So I started watching this video. I know, I'm like, whatever, I don't care. I'm so started watching yeah. this video. And, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I started watching this video, and it was about this woman who has her own restaurant in Oaxaca. And I hope mm-hmm. I'm saying that right. Yeah, okay. beautiful region of you should definitely visit. It's my, oh my favorite God. part of Mexico. Yes, I've seen pictures. It's gorgeous. She has a she has a restaurant there. She makes mole, and in the rest and in this particular video, she was making what she was saying. And I'll go. In, there's different types of mole. So she was making a funeral mole for somebody who died, obviously. And she was explaining how to make it, how she was roasting these chilies, and she has this thing. It's called a. I hope I'm saying this right. A machate. It's, it looks like, I'll describe it, it looks like a little stool and it looks like a rolling pin without the ends. And what she would do, this is like the traditional from like way, way back way that people would grind chili. So she does this every day. This woman is probably the strongest woman on earth because this looks hard. Like she was going She's, I yeah, brought I, one of those back on a plane with me once. Really? <laughs> I really wanted. I really. I was like, "Am I gonna carry this around for the rest of my vacation?" It, <laughs> it looks. Happened. He- it looks like it's made of like granite. Like yeah, it looks it's, heavy. Like a, it's a rock. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, they're pretty fucking heavy. <laughs> yes, it was a heavy thing, and she was. And grinding. those senoras are strong. Ooh, this lady, I was like, she could pick me up and throw me across mm-hmm. the room. This lady, yeah, she was so adorable, but I was like, this lady is strong because she was going at it. But so she was grinding all these ingredients and just explaining how like she got the, let me read what I wrote about it first also. So we'll get back into this lovely woman. Okay, uh, but <laughs> no, it's Gemini season. Oh, and I am a Gemini. So I'm like, all right. Oh, and all my personal planets are Gemini. <laughs> so oh, no wonder so we're just who knows just, who's coming through we're just out here bobbing around um, <laughs> <laughs> okay so mole is a type of it's like a sauce and it comes from the Nahuatl language which is the language of the aztec empire and the language of the Nahuatl people which is the largest ethnic group in mexico and it's believed that mole comes from Oaxaca, which is known as the land of seven moles, or it. some people think it comes from the state of Puebla, which is right next door to Oaxaca. So there's different kinds of moles, but every family has like their own variation of their mole. And so the word mole is... So, okay, you might think, oh, I've heard of mole. It's like guacamole. No, guacamole is not really a mole. It's just a sauce made of avocados. So in that way, it's not the same as what we're talking about, but it is like a sauce, but it's different. So don't worry about guacamole. That's not what we're talking about. It, oh, I love guacamole. There is a green mole, but it's not guacamole. It's different. So traditionally, it's made with chilies. But when the conquistadors came and people came from Spain, they started using garlic and different kinds of herbs and spices and mixed it in there. So now it's a little different, obviously, than it was a thousand years ago, but sounds freaking delicious. So I really like some right now. So a lot of the time people use it for enchiladas. It can be used like a meat sauce, like it's dressing meat, but it looks really good. So here's a couple different kinds of moles. There is mole poblana. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I don't speak Spanish. I apologize. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Okay, thank you. It's famous. This is like a chocolate mole. So it gets it's a dark color. And it's a very rich flavor. It's and co- 
Really? I love because cacao comes it is of Mexico. It's yeah. of, it's a Mesoamerican. It's a sacred Mesoamerican plant. Like gods are born of it. Yes. It's, so it just it you can taste that it's meant to be in the mole. I love it. And sometimes it's used like you just said, like Mexican for Mexican chocolate. And I always remember learning this in Spanish class when I was like in sixth grade that the Aztec people had this like a cacao drink and it wasn't till I think I'm going to get terrible with dates. I've said that before on here. I think it was like the 17 or 1800s. So people made it sweet. It wasn't sweet and it was always like a sacred thing. Like you were just saying, it wasn't like just chocolate. It It was really bitter but it was a sacred ceremonial thing so people drank it during rituals so yeah because it is entheogenic so it does have entheogenic properties in that it's like it it opens you up to the world of the spirits Mm -hmm. and that was like a huge thing for aztec culture that's like what all the sacrifices were about it was like a very interesting theme just like not i'm not gonna pop your interview for too long but it's a very interesting theme it's like the hum it's like these the more human sacrifice was occurring, the more separated from the gods the culture what that the culture felt. And so like these sense. mass populist sacrifices were like these big shows to like to show that the leadership, the politicians were still expressing the will of the gods and not their own to the populace. Oh. But then we also know that throughout Mesoamerica these huge civilizations were just suddenly abandoned by people and ancient translated writings and things suggest that it was that it is it was always a part of ancient mesoamerican knowledge that the further you get from the natural world the closer to collapse you become i mean it only makes sense though like that is so true and Oh my God, I love that. And you think of all these, and I don't think it's only in Mesoamerica, but you do think of it when you think of Mesoamerica. Once conquistadors came and in other parts of the world, similarly, people were like, oh shit, this is it. Like, you know what I mean? They were like, it was, yeah, they were like, oh, this is the end of the world. And it was. This is the end of the world, and it's the end of their world because it's the year 14 something. They're like, we don't know anybody. And it's like, (laughs) we think of it as like the, as, the imposition of we associate the imposition of monotheistic religion but mm-hmm. we don't necessarily understand what that meant because americans indigenous americans exist in a living world the they had not forgotten that the world was alive that the air yeah. that we breathe is alive that the world that we exhale is a, that the air we exhale is a spirit that we are also contributing to the world that we are this interconnected conglomerate of different beings and then you like bring then impose this religion that like no like the mat the material world is evil yeah you must worship this fertility god pinned to the like crossroads in the sterile heavens not allowed to return to the like starry heavens the underworld but also not allowed to descend into the earth or to, to, so it's like this whole, it's a whole thing. We can obviously go on a whole tangent on that. But yeah. food is magic. Plants are magic. And they remind us that we are of the earth. Yes. Oh, my God. And I just think, sorry. And Mona is fantastic for that. <laughs> you just made me think of also the fact that, like, these people 
most of these people in animist societies, Mesoamerica being very also animist society before this, they were then told, oh, you know how you guys think everything has spirits? No, that's not true. Everything is just stuff. And -hmm. like all you need to worry about is being a girl person when you die. Can you imagine the mind fuck that is? Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. Like, what? Yeah, like what? that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I know. You're like, no, but like the water is here. And it's like all of these people are seeing things that they're like, no, I know this is alive. Yeah, Look at that like, stream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like they, these are the being, and I know this is a theme for on your channel, like being visited by beings, by spirits whether they're ancestral or not is something that when you are of that world occurs more regularly it wouldn't have been unusual and suddenly plant spirits or ancestors or demons like yes and now it's a bad thing yeah and it's something to be frightened of and it's and it disempowers the population it makes Mm -hmm. they were forced to assimilate into Catholicism but yet their skin tone being close to that of the earth made them victims of white supremacy simultaneously they would never they were never going to be the Spanish no and that was a lot largely about the creation of Mexican culture that is largely what that was about the assimilation of indigenous practices and developing a an identity that was separate from Europe and yet still mostly benefits white skinned people that like mm-hmm. myself, this is something that I've thought a lot about being mm-hmm. a white skinned Mexican person. It's real. It's totally real. It is. And to be, and I always think to be told that like you are the wrong looking person in your own country. You're like, but I come what? from, yeah. it doesn't what? make sense. It's like, like I come only from the audacity. <laughs> like oh no i know that you have lived here and your ancestors have been here for thousands upon thousands of years but you are the way you look and who you are is wrong and you should probably wish that you would look like me and it's like and that's, yeah and that is a huge part of the mexican culture to this day like i have relatives that say shit like that not so much anymore but mm-hmm. when i was a kid and it always felt really fucked up and i didn't really obviously didn't understand it as well until I was older and I was like wait a minute this is actually very this is a very this is by design yeah it all is and I know I have on my especially on my like Jamaican side of my family it's similar like I have my mom has cousins who were like oh like they just wanted to marry white people because they wanted light-skinned kids but you're not lights who cares <laughs> it's white supremacy is going to hold on to power however it can right look at where we are now all these laws and like men throwing tantrums and target <laughs> <laughs> like the death throws but at the same time it's really scary because people are going to be put to harm's way and like it's a whole it could go really ugly but again it's just they know they're obsolete that's why they're acting. i know it's just it's so dumb. Okay, I'm gonna also talk about another Molang. Oh my god, I love talking to you. This is so fun. <laughs> like, I love how we just go off into tangents about white supremacy. <laughs> it's fine. I love it. Everything is great. Okay, there's another mole called Mole Colorado, which is also from Oaxaca. And this is a, did I skip one? Yeah, but we'll go back. This is a red colored mole that's based in blistered 
tomatoes. It includes raisins, sesame. Ooh, that sounds a little sweet. That's nice. Raisins, sesame seeds, and sweet spices such as cinnamon, cloves, and allspice berries. And it's usually used with enchiladas. It's very good. I like that. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Ooh, now I'm gonna, I want to go to Oaxaca just to go on a, like a mole tour. I'm sure yeah. they have something mole like that. Mole and mezcal. Yes. Mm, that sounds delicious. Get to drink a little bit, eat a little mole, no problem. Okay, we got mole negro. This is the Oaxaca. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. This is the Oaxaca. I knew I was going to say it wrong, too. I was like, don't say it wrong. Don't say Oaxacana. That's what I wanted to say. I know it's wrong. Answer to mole poblanco. And features also features chocolate. However, the name implies it's a lot darker and more intensely flavored than mole poblanco. And it uses Hoya Santa, which is a medicinal herb with a unique flavor to give it a distinct flavor. And in Oaxaca, it's considered one of the most complicated and difficult moles to master. Yeah, they're really, they're actually very, when they're done traditionally, they're very complex. Yes. And in the video I watched, and I put the link in the show notes, it takes this woman hours, like you two, after she just grills and takes all these seeds out, it takes her hours to like simmer this mole. This is like a serious process. If there's a movie that you and your community are interested in watching that kind of romanticizes this, these intensive, these labor intensive processes of making Mexican like water for chocolate is mm. a really beautiful movie. It's a, originally a novel, a Spanish novel by Laura Esquivel, who is, mm-hmm. it was translated into English, so it's available. And it's like this, this woman living in Mexico and making these dishes in her, and it's very magical, it's magical realism. Her emotion mm-hmm. flavor all the dishes and all there's all these experiences that happen to the people that eat them when she's like in love or when she's sad or like all these things. It's a really yeah. interesting. And they come with recipes. Each chapter is a recipe. Yeah. Oh, all right. I'm going to put a link to that. It's a too. movie. Like either read the movie or you can or watch the movie or read the book. I'll read the book. I'll find that and pull a link to that too. And then we have, okay, got mole verde. And this is another Oaxaca mole and it's bright green in color. And it's not guacamole. It starts with, <laughs> it can be started with a spice mix or a paste. And this is fresh. So it's, It uses a lot of fresh herbs and greens, including cilantro, parsley, spinach, and lettuce. Ooh, I love anything with spinach in it. And they use green chilies and pumpkin seeds for a body. Ooh, I like that. And then tomatillos give the sauce a bright tartness. And then we have, and I'm not going to be able to say this, but I'm going to do my best, mole almendrado. I sound so American. Almendrado. Or drink. Okay. Have on a yacht. It sounds, that's what that sounds like. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> this is a type of mole from area around Mexico City, specifically San Pedro. Ata, I can't. Okay, I'm sorry. So sorry, I can't say this. A T O C P A N. Where sixty percent of the moles consumed in Mexico are actually produced. This mole includes fire roasted tomatoes, onions, and garlic, along with sweet spices and a variety of chilies. However. Its most distinguishing feature is the generous amount of blanched almonds, which give it um, the mole a sweet flavor. 
okay the lady in the video that i watched that i put in she was talking about how there's a lot of pre-packaged mollies and you can buy the spices in various hispanic markets and you can buy them as dry ingredients she even now makes her own dry ingredient and it just it was very cool and i was very happy for this woman she was so happy she just oh and that lady in the video she won a contest in oaxaca for the best mole in oaxaca so she's cool that's incredible yeah, she's got like street cred for her mole. It's serious. And like I said, she has the arm strength of 20, 200 pound men, probably. <laughs> she is. Yeah. She is a strong auntie, and I love her. So now is the point in the show where I plug myself, and then we'll talk about other stuff. If you enjoy this show, you can give us five stars on whatever it is that you're listening to it on and if you want to follow me it's dying with the divine on instagram and we're dying with the divine on facebook and if you really like it you can or you want to give me a tip or you think that oh you can give me a tip there's i forgot about that there's a link in the show notes yeah if you want feel free give me a dollar i'm good and if you have any suggestions or comments or constructive critiques, feel free to email me at dinewiththedivinepod at gmail.com anytime I'm here. Okay, next we're gonna get into a little bit, not super intense about it, but we're gonna talk a little bit about perfume and spiritual stuff. So I'll start this off by, I was looking a little bit into the history of perfume because there's a lot going on there. So the first, they have, one of the first documented perfume makers was a woman chemist named Taputi. Yes, and she was her, she wrote all her formulations on a tablet and they found it in Mesopotamia from modern Mesopotamia. And she was apparently the perfumer at the time. She was doing it. And a lot of different societies, ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, they were using all these things at the time, mostly for ritual. And I know, Rito, you're very in touch with your spirit. And do you find that like making, you told us that amazing dream you had, so duh, but like also like when you make your formulations, is it like something that you're inspired, you feel like you're inspired by like spirit to do or something you just, you smell these different things? Like what's your process almost? I don't know if that's a secret. I don't know. Uh, it's not so much a secret. I, okay, I'll be, I'll be, I, Okay. I frequently say that as as much as I have ideas of things that I want to make, there certain ideas will shout more loudly at me for attention and come together in my mind a little more easily. And I do think that that largely is does have to do with the way that I think, as I said, I'm, I have quite a few personal planets in Gemini, Mercury, Venus, and my moon are all conjunct in Gemini in the second house, which is actually the house of Taurus and I'm a Taurus. So it's, it's, it's all very making. I like making things. I like creating things. I like coming up with varieties of things. And so a lot of my childhood and my teenage years was spent learning about occultism and all of the different facets of it and herbs and anything really anything I could get my hands on I was trying to learn and read and like at some at one point I totally thought that because I was raised Catholic Mexican Mm -hmm. I totally thought 
because my church in my town was right across the street from the library. So I would go to the library and I'd sneak into the sections on the adult section. I was like a little kid. Yeah. Look at the books on like witchcraft and demons and like these things that like I knew I wasn't supposed to be looking at. So I totally mm-hmm. thought that God was watching me. Diosito was watching me. And I still <laughs> did it because uh, that's how I am. <laughs> yeah. So I now I feel that I created a foundation of knowledge and I also am constantly reading. There's so many cool new authors now that are writing about occultism, the occult, the kind of a revival of witchcraft and occult herbalism is really is big right now. And it's a really cool time to be alive, right? Like we have these old books like Agrippa and whoever else. But at the same time, we have new people writing and researching and teaching. And so a lot of my fragrances are meant to accomplish something, but I don't always know what that is until I've been working on it. So like the fragrance, one of the fragrances I just released called Bramble is a rose Smells fragrance. freaking amazing, by the way. Thank Jesus you. Christ. Yeah. I'm so glad you went along. I want to drown in it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. She's personal anointment. She is like the shrine of the self. Mm. And when she was originally inspired by roses that grow actually raspberries pardon me that grow in the redwood forest that i would go camping in when i was a kid and i'll still go camping there as an adult because it's still available and these raspberries these wild berries grow along the creeks and along the roads and i used to pick them with my sisters and like i just have these very intense summer memories of the redwoods and the sun and the raspberries and Mm -hmm. all the roses that would be growing in the shadows and now as an adult my research and my interests and fascinations i now know that roses and sisters are cousins roses and berries are cousins they're berries raspberries blackberries part of the rosaceae family they fall within the kingdom or queendom i should say of or empire of roses (laughs) since they're so badass but when i was making making bramble all these oil all these other botanical spirits were like me one that was really big that i wasn't i was kind of like why acacia or cassie is another name for it and oh yeah i really love the smell of it it's also one of the species is a source for gum arabic which is a very okay. very super super important tree a tree of life a tr- world yeah. to different cultures but especially in egypt the mother of the gods gave birth to the gods beneath an acacia tree beneath the solar because they have these these soul these like sun looking flowers they like little mm-hmm. they're thorned and smell really beautiful and their resin is really nourishing when people harvest one of the gum arabic species they subsist on that gum for days mm-hmm. they eat and that's all they need and wow. they like do ritual and dance and celebrations and stuff and so this very these very goddess botanical species started to come in and they're like we're going to be in this and it just really ended up being this very goddessy venus fragrance yeah wow that's so cool i love how these you're so connected to these plant spirits that they're just talking to you i, I it's a little sometimes i'm like i find i do find gemini i find myself mm-hmm. guessing myself I'm like am i just like inserting this am i just inserting it but then if i remove it it's like wrong and yeah yeah it's it I, as I've gotten older, it's certainly become a little easier to not necessarily acknowledge spiritual messages, but more integrate them. I'm less worried about where they're coming from. So there's, I feel like there's a lot of of an obsession on like where something's coming from, where a message is coming from. Like, 
yeah. where spirit is like over your shoulder and being like, mm, and it's who knows. Yeah. For me, then thanks. And I, if it's a spirit that I meant to develop a relationship with, and there's offerings involved and relationship building, but yeah, that's it's my process is very organic, but at the same time pretty like meticulous like I was trained by a classically trained perfumer my mentor Inika Ruland who's a fantastic perfumer her brand Inika perfumes are really beautiful and elegant she taught me everything I know about modern perfumery techniques because when I started I was really all natural I was only really working with the whole essential oils so now I can reconstruct the smell of different botanical species which I've done for the International Union for the Conservation of Nature's Red List project I um, reconstructed the scent of an endangered magnolia and an endangered orchid, a black, black cymbidium. The Chinese, what? The Chinese <laughs> orchid that heralds the spring festival. And it was this beautiful scent, but these, I feel as though my relationship and my fascination with these plants and these spirits and these concepts, I think are how they like spin together inside of this, inside my mind or however, whatever, however you want to conceptualize the container. Wait, well, let's go back to what you just said. You, ex- okay, you took, you got this smell for, the, which flower did you just talk about? Uh, oh, so the orchid was, it was, oh, what was it called? Cymbidium sinensis. Okay. I, I remember that because the sinensis, I was like, ooh, like tea. It's this really beautiful black orchid called the, like, the orchid that heralds the spring festival. Because it's okay. it a Chinese, like, it has a Chinese name. And yeah, yeah. I am... You were great with the Spanish and with the Nahuatl, but I am not going to try Chinese. <laughs> that is the translated name. Uh, okay. And then the magnolia was a Japanese magnolia. So both of these species are endangered. What the Red List does is categorize, assess and categorize botanical and animal species for their current status. Are they threatened? Okay. Are they endangered? Are they actually, we're not concerned about them at the moment. And so I utilize that as a professional resource to when I determine my like workbench, like what materials I use and or what essences or botanical species I work with. Is yeah, way of framing it. And I don't, I I will not utilize extracts of endangered species or threats. Mm-hmm. And that means I don't, I can't use real vanilla. I can't use real. Oh. Rather, I won't. Um, yeah. And it's not that I don't want to support the people that make their livelihoods off of harvesting vanilla or caring for her as she grows, or obviously all these plants are different. But I don't, I, even less I want to participate in the consumption of these beings that yeah. are whose ability to produce future ancestors is being compromised. I don't, I frame it as bearing my weight on this side, end of the scale. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Good for you. I love that. People can do other things. And there are sustainable sources for these endangered species. And there's a lot of really cool work being done to protect the the species and the communities that depend on the species and live with the species. And also, like, it's an issue that the communities that, say, harvest frankincense can't access frankincense because of poverty. Like, how does it make sense that the Catholic Church can burn through literally 50 metric tons of frankincense resin for Christmas mass. Damn. <laughs> but other people that are of the culture to whom frankincense is sacred can't. Wow. 
That's not, that's, I'm not interested in participating in that. Oh, that's, so speaking of that, I was actually going to read this other wild number because that's really wild. Just for Christmas. Damn, that's crazy. And I love frankincense. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I, it smells amazing. But all, there's just so much. There's just a lot. It's just something that people can make money off of. Like people use the resin for medicine, but the essential oil is like what everybody's obsessed with right now. Even though it's yeah. so much more plant biomass to create an essential oil than it is to shave a little bit of resin in a cup of wine. Yeah. Level marketings have multi-level marketing companies, essential companies have their people out there being like, frankincense will cure your cancer or whatever. Mm. Oh my God. Crazy claims. And it's just, what about the trees themselves? Yeah. First and foremost, what about the people? That's okay. We're going to get back to this in a second also. Sorry. (laughs) No, stop. Don't say sorry. You're amazing. And everything you say (laughs) makes me think deeper about something else. (laughs) Because I'm like, but wait, we also have to ask you about this. And we're going to get to our story eventually, I promise. But the other thing that I read, another group of people who did not care about sustainability were the Romans, the ancient Romans at all. (laughs) They didn't care care at all. They worshipped Mars, I guess. (laughs) And not even a fully developed version of that really, like energy, like it's very type of energy, but it doesn't have to be that way. No, the ancient Romans didn't give a fuck. So they were out here. So they, okay, it was estimated that they used about 2,800 tons of imported frankincense and 550 tons of myrrh a year. And they were just, and they were using these in their bathhouses to scent the water and in body care items such as balms, oils, and perfumes. That's a lot. And then, oh, some Romans... Such as P- Pliny the Elder, who wrote something I can't remember. They <laughs> say that again. No, go on, go on. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> they condemn the use of perfumes because while the opulence, because of the opulence and wastefulness, and while Romans, while Rome fell, such luxuries were banned and perfumes were not popular again until for hundreds of years. Yeah, because it was like a little ridiculous. Yeah, like, yeah. It's I, if you are literal government buildings are designed after these Hellenic structures, you know, like... <laughs> it's wild! And here we are making a bunch of shit that doesn't need to exist. Yes! I... It just really goes back to... Perfume is made out of either living beings, like plants, or animals, but we... Mo- I Most modern perfumers do not use animals. Yeah, I know, like, for musk and stuff, people have recreated it. Yeah, Yeah, so I'll utilize a synthetic, like, I use a synthetic civet in my Demonica fragrance, because Mm -hmm. it's, like, this very, like, sensual, like, kind of sexy, skinky scent. Really cool, and it's really beautiful, but I don't want to shake a cage to make that excrete its horn. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, it's also gross. Like, (laughs) suffering involved, and I mean, that's... Many things and eat so much, we consume so many things that have the energy and the auras of suffering attached to them. And we don't mm. But yeah, I'm like, just not that's not surprising. And it feel it's like such an it's an interesting parallel. <laughs> to- yes, it's yeah, it's very it's a lot. What goes to show what happened, like what can happen when you separate something from the people that understand it. 100%. I see that all the time. There's so much, unfortunately, 
especially when it comes to sustainability, there's knowledge that has been lost or knowledge that we just don't listen to because it's not coming from the people that we deem are like important or the yeah or like knowledgeable. It's this it's always and it's always like a very sweet auntie. It's like that auntie doesn't know everything and she doesn't have a doctorate in bro but it's like yeah but this knowledge has been passed down to this auntie for like thousands of years so why are you telling this lady that she doesn't know what she's talking about because she doesn't have a doctorate like that pisses me off yeah. oh yeah that's that is that's like a disease that saturates every so many aspects of our reality the way the world yes. that we live in or like an herbalist with ancestral knowledge and training who understands body systems and is understands spirit understands that there's different types of diseases that afflict people in different ways but we prioritize this like very sterile reductive way of diagnosing people like that is but that this reductive sterile way of understanding things exists across the board right yes humans are reduced to numbers whatever spiritual concepts are reduced to mythologies spiritual beings are reduced to demons whatever that's always how it is this is completely off topic but if there is a group not a group but for hundreds of years because of slavery in the united states they had granny midwives which were usually women in black communities who were delivering babies because they just knew because someone someone they apprenticed with the other lady who delivered babies who apprenticed with the other lady and they weren't able to go to the hospitals they didn't have money for that and then come like the 1950s the american government was like actually you guys can't do this anymore because you're not nurses and doctors and real midwives it's, yeah but they and i don't remember the stats but their like infant mortality rate was like very low their maternal mortality rates were very low because they just had that knowledge, but then they were literally not allowed to practice after the 50s because they weren't certified and they didn't, and they were like, you're not a doctor. Yeah, but they had the knowledge and it's so sad that we do this in so many aspects of our world that everybody, don't get me wrong, college is great. If you wanna to go to college, congratulations, it's no problem. But there's so many different ways to know and understand things like so it's just sad that we discount people because they yeah and i i can imagine that the mortality rate probably increased yeah like it that. did you no know, that's that is a real disease that afflicts this country though and so it's yeah it's but it yeah it's very frustrating <laughs> Oh, Marisa, what are we going to do? <laughs> people who know what they're doing, people that know what to do, people that care about the people that they're trying to serve, but these other systems are prioritized. Yes, it's very frustrating. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's more than just people being prioritized or denied access to. That too, exactly. There's so many issues. So also speaking of this is a little this is, i'm not going to go too much more into this history thing but the end of the history thing is like we said in for europe at least after the romans people were like we don't need to deal with perfume anymore because the romans were doing the most right but then in like india and china they were using it for different things and what i think is so nice is that a lot of chinese and the ancient chinese even put perfume in their ink so when they wrote things it smelled nice i love that isn't that cool yeah imagine and then imagine i find i won't go into this tangent too much i promise 
That's okay. No, it's fine. Um, this is a good example of how scent can be worked into a magical practice. Like I read, still making my way through it, a book on food talismans. So like Taoism and how they create. Yes, I'm actually about to read that book. I just ordered it, I think. Is this, it's by Benabel Wen? It's about, it's by, I'll get you the author. That's fine. You can see if it's the same one. But it's just, it's like, it's by, it is by her. It is. It yes. Is. She, and she's a very nice person. Yeah. Cool. And I'm like, and honestly, like reading it, like also filled in some like structural gaps in terms of like how I make perfume. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. Yeah. I give out too much of the book, but it's, there's so many beautiful ways of, that of uh, that the interweaving of energies is illustrated and expressed in that tradition in that whole tradition mm. as well so i i just think that i just love stuff like that like fragrance and introducing plants into these different magical mediums it's all part of our relationship with them yes oh i love that so much and the Chinese also use perfume for disinfection, which we know that a lot of plants, they also wear dis- disinfectants and purity. And they also, they believe that some perfumes can help a rid a room of disease, which makes sense. Some plants are like disinfectants in aerial, yeah, you know. Totally, especially the aromatic friends that were, you know, yes. like colognes and stuff. That's where mm-hmm. after bath theme came from. Yes. Now we think of everything as a toiletry. But originally, it was it, the that or the root of that is the cleansing powers of plants, aromatic plants. I love that. So then they started handing using it as perfumes later on for personal use. But they also, they, but they're Oriental. I don't think we say that word anymore. I'm sorry, it was in my notes. But <laughs> fragrances that come from that part of the world, like China, they're heavily focused on with herbs and spices which they also use a lot in their medicine that's why they would use it in a medicinal in a medicinal capacity also which is pretty cool and then in medieval europe (laughs) i don't know why i'm laughing about this but first of all in medieval europe the crusaders of course they went to the middle east and they were like brought back all their stuff and they're like let's use this of course they did um so then <laughs> they also found out how to distill rose petals which is really i know and maybe this is wrong but i know like bulgarian rose oil is like very expensive i know this from 90 day fiance but <laughs> i know that distilling rose petals is it seems like a big business and we talked about distillation before but yeah, it is. Lot. It is. They grow very well in Bulgaria, but actually it was the Arab culture that mastered the distillation of rose. And we still utilize their discoveries and the way that they, their technology to this day. Wow. In okay. Bulgaria. So yeah. there as their props to them and their beautiful roses, but the techniques were developed in the Middle East. Interesting. And then during the bubonic plague, they would fill those bird masks that you've ever seen with spices because people were dead everywhere and that was, it didn't smell very good. So then they made more perfumes in the 14th century and they, Marco Polo, who went all the way to Asia and he came back, he was bringing back all this stuff. He's like, hey guys, we found more good smelling stuff in other countries. And then what else happened? So then, like, in the 1500s, 1600s, it seems like it started to be more of a fashion thing to have perfume than a medicinal or, like, something like that, in Europe at least. And they were getting 
all sorts. They were getting some of the stuff like we talked about from animals, but they don't really do that anymore. And because bathing was such an unpopular practice back then, people relied on fragrances to make them not stink all the time. And they were wearing these big wigs and it's like a whole thing. Yeah. So that's that part. <laughs> that's our... <laughs> so it was actually a, like Catherine de' Medici around the, in the 1500s, like you're saying. She's who began to popularize fragrance again, perfume. She had a corporate yes. perfumer that she brought over from when she was a princess before she was married. She had mm-hmm. her and she brought him and he was also her court poisoner yeah okay that is in the show the serpent queen if you yes i really like the serpent queen it's very good (laughs) yes oh that is so cool and okay people who do fragrances know all the poisons it's the same world and now i suppose we still have to understand poisons because like i need to I follow regulations and guidelines mm-hmm. that are based in chemistry to keep people from having asthmatic attacks and rashes, yeah. burns, chemical burns. But they distillation techniques would have been used to to extract medicines, to extract fragrance, to extract poisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the witchcraft laws that were put into place in Europe encompass things like so obviously they encompass things like poisoning but also things like love potions and perfumes which all when again they all fall in the same world wow oh my god this is so fascinating and who knew like that it was this intense of a situation i love it again it's like we our culture is is not a perfume culture deodorant culture so think of fragrance as like a toiletry yeah the world remembered that it was like of the gods yes it was just like ambrosia is we when we make ambrosia we think of something as an ambrosial it's like sweet in reality it was like super toxic and poisonous because only the gods could consume it it was like yes. you know, power plants and power beings power spirits and perfume as magic is it has the potential to bring someone out of sorrow but we could also probably just as easily use it as a spell to wrap someone in sorrow uh, not like that would be super difficult to do with with perfume or with magic yeah it's yeah it's just a really it's a really interesting how it's it's all within the same like globe right it's all yes in the spirits depending on how you want to work with them oh my god so cool so cool Oh, we could go on for days and days. Um, so the other. Okay, really quick before we get to the story, because I have to ask you this. Okay, you talked before about, you mentioned like MLMs. And I always think like these, all these, not, I don't know a ton, but I know like Young Living and like mm. Duterte and stuff. How, okay, there's so much. They mass produce all this stuff and people love to buy it or whatever. And I love an essential oil, so I'm not putting myself not in this category. But, like, how are they making all these things and not selling them for cheap? But you see these, like, a jasmine oil. And they'll be like, oh, this is a $15 jasmine oil. But is it, like, it's all synthetic, it must be, though, right? So companies like, so there's two parts to that. There are, there's a ton of adulteration that happens on the market. Mm -hmm. You like a jasmine oil that's 15 bucks. 
you can be sure that it's most likely, unless it's like jasmine oil and jojoba oil, mm -hmm. maybe sometimes that that's a little sketchy, like it says like really little letters that it's diluted in an oil. That's still deceptive marketing. But mm -hmm. if someone says like it's a jasmine oil or rose oil, and it's like you said, really inexpensive, it's likely to have more likely be a perfume blend to be a or mm. a jasmine accord a blend of different natural or non-natural materials in order to get that smell there the companies like the big ml multi-level marketing pyramid scheme kind of companies a lot of the times they own farms that their products are grown on or they like own the distilleries that people in order to get paid have to take their plant mass to from their farms or from their land Oh. In order to have it processed and prepared, and then they get paid according to how many, whatever, pounds or kilos that they bring in. So oh. that's a thing. So it's usually they own a step of the process or multiple steps of the process, if not the entire process. And also they own their third party hmm. certifications. So, oh. more, yeah, if you like frequently, if you look up like, we're this certified by this and then you look up who owns that company it's the same company i'm shocked yeah <laughs> sketchy as fuck yes i'm mad oh my god that's so yeah. fucked up gear it's obviously really difficult for people to find farmers themselves connect with farmers directly or find essential oil people that are distilling essential oils locally as well i am very fortunate to live somewhere that as populous as California is, it still has a lot of plants. It's still, its climate is Mediterranean, although we're also becoming a desert, thanks to industrial processes. Um, <laughs> Jesus. And people here are distilling essential oils. People are growing lavender in Napa that I can then use in my perfumes and mm -hmm. source the lavender from France or whatever. So yeah, it's it usually if a company has like a really like a kind of an army style distribution process, they own their sources or at least parts of the sources. Jeez. Which wow. means that then it's like they have the potential to pay the people that live in the regions that they're sourcing these plants from very well. They say they do. You're leaking all the secrets <laughs> that we didn't know. I am the Pluto and Scorpio generation. I worship spreading <laughs> across. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now we know all about that. I am sus now of all those. I don't use any of those companies. So I don't support any MLMs. I refuse that. It's, it's, um, it's, it's sad how much people are taking advantage of from the harvesters to the people that are like the reps or whatever they are. Yeah. They're like, who makes these companies tons of money? their reps yes the reps aren't going around selling dozens of essential oils and boxes and whatever no they're sitting with them in their closets in their cars or whatever yeah everyone but like most of them probably we're mad about it but yeah it's just it's people in a room in i think a responsible herbalist and like clinician or whoever practitioner would acknowledge that essential oils are the very tip of the health pyramid of the phytopyramid. Yeah. The base of the pyramid of health is food. The plants yeah. are primarily healing our foods. Yes. And all the phytochemical constituents that come along with them, like turmeric as a food, mm -hmm. have tons of rich compounds that we can utilize. Not, not 
literally tons, obviously. Yeah, yeah, But many. Oil is also useful, but again, it's like we can, we're meant to consume these beings, incorporate these beings into our beings in order to replenish ourselves in a specific way. And essential oils are really useful, but when they come with the cost that they do, I think they should be considered precious. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm fired up. Okay. (laughs) I'm like so mad now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right, so it's story time. Yay, we're gonna tell a story. We talked a lot about Oaxaca. We talked a lot about mole. So our story comes to us from the Yucatan Peninsula. This is a myth, which is very exciting. It's very, I just like this myth a lot. So you think of the Yucatan Peninsula, two places people think about is Cancun and Tulum. Those are two places that are there. If you've never seen pictures of those places, look, they're gorgeous. Never been, but one day. So I'm going in two weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, my cousins are actually my family's first destination wedding, even though we're from Mexico. I'm all <laughs> here. So, yeah, I'm stoked to go to Cancun. Nice. Have fun. Awesome. Okay. So, here's our story. So, there was this really nice village, and in this village lived these two ladies. They were both very beautiful. One lady was Ikaban, and her name actually meant sinner. And the other lady was Utzkolel. We'll say Kolel. And her name means good woman. So they were both beautiful, okay? So this is a situation. And it's Kolel, she was like very virginal. Like she was, she wore white all the time. She didn't look at any boys. She didn't look at any girls. She was just to herself. And she's like, I'm just like a perfect virgin queen. That was her thing. <laughs> she walked around, just, I'm so great. Everything's great. Ikeban, the other woman, was for the streets and she didn't have a problem with it (laughs) it wasn't an issue (laughs) it's no problem she was out here she she got she was beautiful she got the attention of a lot of suitors they gave her stuff she had sugar daddies it wasn't a problem she was out there with whoever she wanted to be and she wasn't ashamed of what she was doing nor should she have been so the thing that you need to also know about Ikeban was she was super, super nice. Like she was super sweet and kind to everybody. She was always helping people who were poor or had less than her. And she was always helping. Oh, she would sell stuff that men gave to her to pay for food for people who didn't have enough food. Or yeah, she's such a good person. Yeah. <laughs> the cooler Robin Hood. She had a good time. It's- exactly so like she was out here people were like oh she's out here like sleeping with dudes but she was actually helping the community so shut up about it like she was doing yeah, such good things doing judging no, i'm just kidding exactly she <laughs> was yeah because the other girl it's khalil was just out here being like ugh, whatever so ikaman was out here helping people and it's khalil she was just rude and people actually didn't like her but they admired her for being so like virginal and whatever so she was a prude let's just say it. she was a prude but she like looked down on people if they were poor or sick she didn't like that she wouldn't touch any of those people like like the way Ichabod was so one day I guess people were walking around the village and people started smelling this like really good smell and they didn't know where it's coming from. And they all directed to this one house and they realized it was Ikaban's house and they got in there and Ikaban was dead. And I know. <laughs> it was so sad. Just die, so it's fine. Like the village hottie 
she was dead and it was terrible and everyone was so sad but in all the sadness everyone's like oh no she's dead let's go L was like why does she smell so good though i don't like that <laughs> she's like she's she's dirty and i'm not dirty so like she shouldn't smell so whatever Let's go. Cool. was like, you know what? When I die, if she smells good, I'm going to smell twice as good. People are just going to be, they're going to be just around me because they're like, she smells so delicious. Okay. So then when it's time to bury Ikemen, all the poor people in the town, people who came from sick families or they were sick themselves, they held the funeral for her because she's the one who had been like their, like you said, like their Robin Hood. She was helping them out. And all the animals from the forest came to honor her. Yeah. Isn't that cute? Having a good time, being slightly darker. Everybody likes you. It sounds like she, was, she deserved to smell, have a fragrant afterlife. Yes, and I was so happy. When they buried her, these beautiful flowers started to spring from her grave. And the flowers are also, they're actually called Itabentun. Itabentun? I don't know. I have to look. I'm probably not saying that, but it's spelled X-T-A-B-E-N-T-U-N. So these flowers, they're smelled, I think they're white and like viney. They seem, they grew from her grave and they smell delicious and everybody's, wow, this is amazing. After her being such a slut, like how does she have all these nice flowers? So then of course, time goes by and later on, it's Colel, she dies and Everybody was like, oh, wow. They're like, wow, she died a virgin and she's such a good person. She never gave up her quote unquote purity or whatever people wanted to say. And then they buried her and it stank. (laughs) It smelled so bad. People were like, ew, this is nasty. They probably dug her up and buried her outside town because they were like, we can't bury her in this town. It smells so bad. Oh. Yes. What an interesting so, story. I, I want to be. No, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I briefly looked up the. I looked up the name of the flower because it did sound familiar to me, and it's mm-hmm. Pacific species of marigold. Ooh. That or morning glory, not marigold. Morning. Okay. Marigolds are also very important in Mesoamerica and Mexico, but they're different. I love marigolds. Um, the morning glory are the ones that grow in the vines, and they're usually like purpley flowers, but they're white, like you were saying. And they're we're very important to the Aztecs and to Mesoamericans because their seeds are hallucinogenic, psychotropic. And so oh. missionaries would burn them whenever they saw them. Because obviously, how a plant having more authority and power to connect human people to the divine than they themselves was an affront to the church. Wow. <laughs> this beautiful smelling she sounds very like underworld goddessy to me especially since those flowers bloomed from her grave yes that's how i feel too and she just had a good soul she was just a good person so then so utzkalel died and she had that stinky grave and in death apparently utzkalel was like like yeah she she totally missed the mark she didn't get it she was like i guess it's cool to be a whore she did not get the point of what had happened you enjoyed 2023 she missed it so then she basically came back from the grave in a way as basically like a weird ghost and she returned to x x became her name and now she sits under the also going to mispronounce this it's a specific kind of cactus called the tzamkam t-z-a-c-a-m 
there, in, a flower grows from it, this cactus, and she sits under this seba tree. I guess this is also where the cactus can grow. Mm-hmm. And she sits there and she combs her hair with the cactus and waits to seduce and kill men. Now, because <laughs> she's bitter. Yeah. And women love becoming ghosts in Mexico. My grandma used to tell me about seeing a bunch of them when she lived on the ranch, like mm. that she lived on. Mm-hmm. There was like kinds of like ghostly women in their like nightgowns floating around. Oh my god. I know. They're mad. Yeah, they hold grudges. Mexican ladies hold grudges. They- <laughs> we know that Let's Khalil turned ex to base. She just held a grudge because she was like, I should have banged when I was alive, and then I didn't. She did have, and then she would have smelled great. <laughs> yeah, and she would have had fun because she would have been banging. And then she's like, damn, I stayed a virgin my whole life. This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> now she gets to like, comb her hair with a cactus under a tree. And her sister's like this, like psychedelic plant. <laughs> I know. Her sister is this wonderfully smelling psychedelic plant, and people are just enjoying their experience. And she's just out here poking people and seducing yeah. and murdering them. <laughs> I wonder what happens to the men that she like, that she like does whatever she does to you. Because like my grandparents had all kinds of stories of spirits that would be on the roads and mm. like one time my grandfather I don't, this one might have been like more of a myth like whatever but he like picked he said that he heard this crying baby he picked it up and it was like he like was like what the fuck and he like picked it up and he like it was it's i don't know what it said it said something like what are you doing out here so late and it had teeth and it was he was like what the fuck he was like who's the devil <laughs> he threw it and ran home got home <laughs> <laughs> but there's multiple experiences like my grandpa got up to shit i know <laughs> that's so the scary night on the roads of mexico being chased by like black dogs and stuff yeah. that's fine yeah that i feel like that sounds just like ghana my dad's from ghana and it's always some weird ass shit see yeah seeing like floating ladies with no shirts on who have no legs and i'm like what is yeah in the middle of the night and then there was a guy with fish teeth and i'm just like i don't (laughs) my you know what my grandma used to ask me all the time before she passed was it was like a rhetorical question because she knew the answer and she would be like why do you think why don't you think there are any spirits here she's like why aren't there spirits here because she would see someone she lived in mexico she would see yeah She's probably where I got it from. Yeah, uh, probably. <laughs> she's my maternal grandmother. Uh, mm. And she was like, it's because even the devil's afraid of American. <laughs> <laughs> Your grandma's a boss. <laughs> she's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love your grandma. Oh my god, she sounds awesome. Was yeah, she all her she had all kinds of stories in her sayings and jokes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Even the devil is <laughs> She's yeah. right. I know. <laughs> she was right. Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. That brings us to the end of this episode. This has been so fun. <laughs> so, Maritza, just tell us where you want to be found on the internet and all that kind of stuff. So, that black hole no i'm just kidding no it's a wild place the internet i grew up like i grew up at the beginning of the internet mm-hmm. first came out dial up the whole thing and uh, honestly like actually 
occult, of course, on theme. A lot, my experience was largely like occult forums and stuff. So yeah. Like, we're still on forums and things. But anyway, you can find me at, <laughs> not on any of those because uh, <laughs> is on Instagram at herbcraft.perfumery or at Petaled Serpent. That's my more kind of like personal one, I suppose, where I do talk more about ecology and magic and also list memes and shit and whatever the herbcraft one is more perfume in my events where i'll be like talking about classes that i have coming up that are going to be really fun that people should definitely come through if they're in the bay area or if they're visiting i may have some digital ones so definitely keep your eye on my events page of my website for that which is herbcraftperfumery.com if you're interested in sustainability or sustainability in the fragrance industry just as a topic you can visit sustainableperfumery.org which is the website for the Coalition of Sustainable Perfumery, which I co-founded with a group of other perfumers. And there we have like interviews with fragrance house people and ecologists and a list of endangered species that are used in perfume that you can take a look at your products ingredient lists and see if they're in there, if that's something that is of concern to you. Or you can email me questions about anything at mauricio at herbcraftperfumery.com. Yay! And I'll put all those links in the show notes too. So if people want to go check all that all stuff out, you can. Oh my gosh, this has been the most fun! Oh. <laughs> I love this. So thank you so much. And thank do my you. little. Oh, of course. And I'll do my little last plug. So again, I'm Dying with the Divine on Instagram and Dying with the Divine on Facebook. Like I said, you can give the show a five stars if you enjoy it. And you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, whatever platform you listen to your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please email me at dyingwiththedivinepod at gmail.com. If you want to follow me, Ashley, I'm at Sankofa HS. That's S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S and Sankofa Healing Sanctuary on Facebook. Again, Rachel, you have been awesome. You're awesome. This has been really fun. Yay. Okay. So everybody, thank you so much for joining us for another week. And I'll see you next week and have an awesome week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.